We are reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 15 to 22. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is God's word. You may be seated. Welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, and we're continuing in particular chapter 11, which we'll look at this morning together, and so I hope that you have your Bibles open, and we'll look at verses 15 to 22. I have suggested that the book of Hebrews defines faith this way. First component is taking God at his word. Believing God, believing his promises. The second component is that leads to an assurant hope in the unseen. A confident foundational hope in the unseen that is based on taking God at his word. And the third component of faith as the book of Hebrews describes it is that consequently leads to action in the lives of people who have faith. They live according to God's word and they live according to a foundational hope in what is unseen. And so we're looking at individuals who lived accordingly. Last week I suggested that time can prove to be an enemy of faith. And this is what I mean by that by way of review. A lot of times we will hold a promise of God in front of us as did many of the people in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But we're wondering, when is it going to take place? When are God's promises going to come to fruition? And if they don't come about in a time fashion that we feel is appropriate, that faith can be threatened. So we looked a little bit at Abraham last week, and we knew that God had made him promises about a nation that would come and that his Uh, progeny his children would be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven he had one of those children but he died without ever seeing the land that God had promised he had died without ever seeing his children become a nation he died without seeing that nation becoming a blessing to the nations of the earth and then we had Noah Noah was told by God that The earth was going to be destroyed by a flood, and Noah built a 450-foot boat over a 120-year period of time, preaching the judgment of God the entirety of those 120 years. 
The flood did come, but let's face it, 120 years is an awful long time to wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Well, here we are, and, and maybe time still proves to be an enemy for us. When are the promises going to show up? When are they going to come to fruition? There's another enemy that we're going to look at today, and, and that enemy is circumstance. Time and circumstances. Uh, what if we claim to believe in the promises of God and and we verbally assent to that, and intellectually we believe it, but then times get difficult. And, and I don't mean a little bit difficult. I mean really downright dirty, hard, difficult. All of us as individuals have faced hard times. Some of us have faced tragic times. Some of us have have downright seen the worst of the worst. But by and large, we live in a period of history in a country where pressure is not always on us from the outside. Some of us individually have faced that, but uh, corporately we have not. I, I was struck by the fact that the original hearers of this letter were a people who were under a kind of pressure that we're not under. They had had their property seized and some friends and family had already been put in prison and they were just a year or two away from the government really coming down on them to the point where people would not only be in prison but they would be killed for their faith. So they understood a kind of set of circumstances that most of us have yet to see. And so when pressure comes and and things turn, and, and even for us when the pressure is maybe not as great as the Hebrews experienced, faith can be challenged, can it? It can become difficult, and perhaps when the circumstances get more difficult, that's that sifting process that we hear about so often in Scripture. Is faith really there? And so the question that I came up with this week was, what makes these people last? I mean, what makes these people in chapter 11 of Hebrews, but to the Hebrews who received this, and, and what is going to help us last? Because we have these two external pressures as well. Time, God has made these promises, but... When are they going to be fulfilled? And, and circumstances for you individually today may not be great. And for all of us corporately, six months, a year from now, five years from now, they may be downright terrible. What's going to make us step out of saying we take God at his word? And what is going to help us step out of believing in that foundational unseen truth for the future and actually live it when things are lousy? I hope to give us one answer to that question today. We're going to look again a little bit at Abraham. Most of us know a little bit about Abraham. 
and then we're going to look at Joseph, but we'll call the whole thing sort of the patriarchs. I've already mentioned that early in Genesis, God made some promises to this one individual, this pagan man from a place called Ur of the Chaldees. He was a prominent businessman in his world. It was a place of human sacrifice and idolatry. And God said, I want you to leave that land and go to a land that you don't even know about. I want you to pick up your family and move a thousand miles by foot or by camelback or however it was they traveled. And from your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham did it. Well, that's a pretty extraordinary step of faith. But, but Abraham was promised other things, that you were going to have a son when you're 99 years old, a child. And your wife's 90. Well, they both laughed. They, they ended up having that child, and they named him Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. A, pr a pretty appropriate name, I would think. And, and he had this son, and, and so one out of all the promises that Abraham was made by God came to fruition. But Abraham died without ever seeing all the others fulfilled. The only piece of the land that he ever owned was a grave that he bought for his wife. But he never saw his son Isaac become a great nation. He never saw his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren turn into a huge nation and never saw that nation become a blessing to others. But beyond that, God says in verse 18 of our text, through Isaac you shall, um, shall your offspring be named. In other words, Isaac is the individual through whom I am going to fulfill all the promises that I've made to you. Well, that's good. Had a boy at 99 years old, I would expect that he's going to be that child. And then something very strange took place. God came to Abraham and said, I want you to offer your son to me as a sacrifice. Well, we just went from ordinary faith to extraordinary. God, I believe that you have made promises, and I believe that you fulfilled them, and, and I've seen you fulfill it in giving my, me a son whom I love in my old age, but I really can't see how you're going to fulfill your promises if I take the life of my son. How, that's moving to a deeper, deeper level. Well, in verse 19 of our text, it says something else. It says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, Abraham believed that even if he obeyed God and took the life of his son on a sacrificial altar, because God had made promises, God would raise his son from the dead. But where did that faith come from? You know what I'm saying? I mean, taking God at his word, believing in the unseen, and acting on it, 
where does the faith in the resurrection come from? Because time and circumstances are certainly playing against those two things, I would think. I mean, if you want to stack the deck against faith, this is a man who has it stacked against him. I want to turn to Genesis just to reread this story of Abraham and Isaac in this situation, just so that we can have a familiarity with it again. I know that many of us have a, a pretty clear picture of it. I've turned to Genesis chapter 22. I'll only make a couple of comments, but if you can, I don't know that we can, put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. He is a man of faith. He's got intellectual assent, and he has seen God actually fulfill promises by giving him a son. And then this word comes beginning at verse 2. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for a burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both went together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I'll stop there for a moment. Three days. I mean, a, a long journey by foot and with donkey. The things going through Abraham's mind. Ooh. I mean, I can cry just thinking about that, you know. There's debate about how old Abraham was. We've all more than likely seen paintings of this event. The debate goes between 13 years old and 22 is how old Isaac was. Uh, I won't go into the arguments for either one. It's really unimportant. But what I will say, and without humor, is this. Whether he was 13 or 22 or somewhere in between, he could have easily outdistanced or overpowered his father, who was now 110. So what's the point, Dave? The, the point is that Isaac, when it came time, willfully laid down on the altar. 
somewhere, sometime along the way in his life up to this point, Isaac had faith. His father bound him, but, but in a way it was unnecessary. Uh, of course, the whole picture is very reminiscent of what took place on Golgotha when God the Father offered up his son, the Lord Jesus, on our behalf. I mean, the parallels are well too many to be ignored. But today, that is not the point. But the, the point I'm making is, where did Isaac's faith come from? Where, where how could he know that he was the son of promise the answer that God had given to his father and and know that God was still going to fulfill his word boy and it's easy for us to look at this and say Abraham and Isaac are just out of our league they're just a different creation and a different critter altogether. But we are called to live by faith. When it's easy, when it's hard, when time is standing against us as an enemy, and when circumstances are standing against us as the enemy of faith. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. And now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. There you are. That's the story of, of Abraham, and certainly he proved that he was a man of faith, not only in time, but also in circumstance. And it's a pretty extraordinary thing. But, but then our text back in Hebrews 11 continues, and it says in verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, his children. Future blessings. You see, Isaac, the son of promise, never saw the fulfillment of the promises that God had made to his father. And so when his boys grew to age, he blessed them about future things. And, and Jacob and Esau died without seeing the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and their father either. 
And so in verse 21, we see, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. You see, what I'm saying is that from these promises made to Abraham by God, generation after generation after generation never saw the fulfillment of the promise. But there was still faith. And so I think, wow, somewhere along the line, somebody stayed faithful even though time and circumstance was against them. Well, this man, Jacob, is also a familiar uh, person to us, and Jacob had a lot of sons. And one of those sons was a man named Joseph. And many of us know this, and, and I'm not trying to be uh, simple, but, uh, but I want to tell us the story. You see, Jacob had a number of sons, among whom was Joseph. And those sons became the heads of the tribes of the nation of Israel. And Joseph was not liked by his brother. He was not liked by his brothers because his father favored him. You know, he was a daddy's boy. And the other brothers were jealous. So much so that some of the brothers wanted to murder him. Well, they didn't murder him, but they took him and they sold him into slavery. And Joseph knew all of this. And, and he was sold ultimately into Egypt where he became a slave. And, and all of this can be read about in the late 30s chapters of Genesis. And, and Joseph was, was touched by God and, and, and he rose up the ranks in Egypt and he became the right-hand man to, of the king, the pharaoh in Egypt. And, and Joseph told the king, there's going to come a great famine. I want you to, to uh, put some food aside, a, a boatload of food for years and years and years and years, which he did. And the famine came, and the famine not only struck Egypt, but it struck the land where Joseph had come from, and his fathers and his brothers suffered as a result of this famine. And so his father Jacob sent the boys the remaining boys, some of them, down to Egypt to buy grain so that they could survive the famine. And Joseph there disguised himself from his brothers, but provided them grain so that the family could be spared. And ultimately, the family all moved down to Egypt. And it was a story of God's miraculous hand in saving these faithful people most particularly Joseph. But you know what happened? That family grew and prospered in Egypt and became the nation of Israel, and every last one of them became a slave under the hands of the Egyptians. And for generation after generation after generation, the people lived 400 years as slaves under the hands of the Egyptians. Even though God had spared Joseph and his family, who was a son ultimately of Abraham, but the promises now look further and further and further away because 
They're living as slaves under the hands of the Egyptians. Under those sets of circumstances, you would really have to be a glutton for punishment to still be a person of faith, wouldn't you? I'm going to believe a promise that God made six, seven hundred years ago about my family. Joseph did. Joseph did extraordinarily. Now, out of all those people who are now living in slavery under Egypt, the people who are people of faith are very few. Are very few. Why? Because time and circumstance have led them to say, I can't believe God's going to fulfill his promises. So there was just a remnant. There were individual people like Joseph and a few others who maintained their faith. Everybody else called them a Jew, called themselves a Jew, called themselves a believer, if we want to use that term, but didn't live by faith. But you know what's fascinating? Our text goes on and says in verse 22, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. In other words, Joseph was so confident in his faith that at the end of his life, as the people were becoming slaves under Pharaoh, he called his brothers together and said, God is going to redeem his people. And this is what I want you to do with my bones. I'm that confident. And I want to take you to Exodus, I'm sorry, to Genesis again, because it's not accidentally the last few verses of the entire book. This is how the book of Genesis ends is with Joseph's proclamation about the fact that God is going to deliver his people. Genesis chapter 50. All right, this is great. Verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Jacob, I'm sorry, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you need to carry my bones up from here. And so Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. The actual word there is mummified him. They made him a mummy, just like the Egyptians, you know, Tutankhamun. And they put him in a sarcophagus. And they buried him in Egypt. And you know what happened centuries later? When the people and the exodus did take place, Moses and the leadership dug up that coffin. And when Joshua led the people into the promised land, They were carrying the bones of Joseph. Why? 
because he believed the promises of God. That God would deliver his people. And he acted out on it. And he made others act out on it. Take my bones from this place. So, the question still looms. Where does this faith come from? We are not going to live 400 years in Egyptian slavery. We will not build a boat for 120 years. And time means less to us. And let me explain why. And don't take this as a criticism because I include myself in this. Because I long for what God promised less than these guys. So when the years pass by, I don't feel the strain of time nearly as much. Because I'm stuck here. And my mind is stuck here. And I'll show you what I mean. Because here is the key to why these guys maintained their faith when time and circumstance were against it. Look with me at verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read verse 15 first. If these people had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Okay, so what does that mean? Let me paraphrase it for you. All these people came from somewhere to a, a different set of circumstances. And if their mind was focused on the temporal and the now, and when difficulty in circumstance grew great and time was just sweeping over them, they would have said, I've had enough of this. I'm going home. I'm done. The grass is greener over there. I liked it better where I came from. God has not fulfilled his promise, and life's too tough, so I'm going back. That's the paraphrase of what this verse means. If... If they'd been thinking of the land which they came from, they would have gone back. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And I, I really don't mean to be self-critical, but here's the reality. What separates these guys from me is that constantly before them was the end game and not the here and now. And so time and circumstance 
began to fade in terms of importance. When God fulfilled his promise, became less important, and the reality that he would was what was before them. And the circumstances in which they found themselves became much less important than where they knew they would ultimately end up. And this message comes up over and over and over again in Scripture. It really does. Fix your mind on things above. Put your trust in the author and perfecter of your faith. Over and over and over and over again it comes. And yet, time and circumstance can rock my world. How can it not be rocked? By trusting that God is the one who built the place where I will ultimately reside and nothing between here and now matters. Nothing. And Joseph was so confident of it, he said, bury me in a casket and carry me home. And he made it. And Abraham was so confident in the future that he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. And our faith is based on the reality that God did kill his son and raise him from the dead. So time and circumstance have very little consequence at all. I can't tell you how to do it, but I know if you do it, Time and circumstance will have very little meaning to true, genuine, biblical faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, your word is grand, mysterious, larger than we. And, and I do not know how to instill in myself or all of us this kind of faith, but I know that your spirit who dwells within us will anchor our souls to you. So those of us who are swayed by time and circumstance, may we fix our eyes on that which you have promised and let nothing else hinder us in our journey. In Christ's name, amen.